0: Afternoons, with me, I'm Bill Arnold. I have got a great show for you tonight. Um, Mike Novotny is going to be coming on in just a minute. He's got a pretty interesting topic. Uh, It's called Sex is Complicated. Let's talk about it. (laughs) Then after that, uh, Kay Wills-Wyma is going to come on the program. She's also got a new book. Her book is called The Peace Project, a 30-day experiment practicing thankfulness, kindness, and mercy. I think I could use a dose of that as well. And then in hour 2 Dr. Joanne Jung um, is going to be joining Dr. Peter Kapster and I for a full hour during the Sunburnt series at, as it closes, because we're out of summer. So we're going to talk about the lost discipline of conversation, and we're going to learn lessons in spiritual formation that is drawn from the English Puritans. And I love the Puritans. So that's going to be the show for today. I know I'm going to love it. Mike navati has got a lot of credentials, and I might read some of them because I know it'll make his mother happy. Uh, he got his master's, <laughs> I already hear him laughing, he's got his master's degree um, at uh, from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, a doctor of ministry from Trinity Evangelical, he's been in ministry for over a dozen years. I was at the gym on Sunday, and you know, the, the, my gym has got like 70 TVs when you walk in there, and I look up at the bank of TVs and I go, there's Mike Novotny, <laughs> and you are on some program teaching something. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, Bill, thanks for having me back. What was that all about? I I didn't see too much of it because I didn't have the ability to hear, so I just saw you teaching on TV.
1: (laughs) Yeah, apparently it's so bad, they just put it on
0: Newton. (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing on my TV and my gym? I want to know answers, and I want them now.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm the lead speaker of a media ministry called Time of Grace, uh, which is on every single week uh, across the nation, three national networks, 28 local stations, a lot of stations here in the Midwest.
0: So, yeah, that's what that was, time of grace. Yeah. Well, that was uh, well done. It was it looked great. And thanks for doing the show today. The interesting topic we have to discuss. Um, and it seemed there was a time, I don't know, it wasn't that long ago when sex wasn't that complicated, right? Husband and wife <laughs> enjoyed one another's uh, and God's greatest gift. And then sin came in, kind of messed up all kinds of things. Now it seems, Mike, that the, some of the loudest voices about sex are the ones uh, trying to find fulfillment in the gift apart from the giver. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, I think that is fair, and, and maybe we hear those voices the most because the voices that should be speaking first and most, <laughs> and with an open Bible, have been a little bit intimidated to do so. So that's a lot where this book came from, the series came from, the the world is talking about sex, most Christian parents aren't talking about sex, and the Bible does talk about sex, so even if it's complicated, let's talk about it.
0: Let's. I would like you to uh, lead with something, because I know our time is—we've got you know 20, 20 minutes, and I, I want you to talk about your book in, in the best way you can, because I know this is, there's so many uh, areas to sex, and you say it's complicated, so let's talk about it. Um, where would you like to start?
1: Yeah, so I, I think a, the four or five big points that I love to teach when I'm teaching on this topic— would be sex is good, sex is work, sex is fiery, sex is unnecessary, and probably most importantly, sexual sin is forgivable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if I could start with that first one, um, you know, because we live in a, a post-fall sin-filled world, it can be really easy for us to forget <laughs> that sex is not a, a satanic invention. Um it is not like a post-fall demonic intrusion. Uh, it's not by its nature shameful or embarrassing. In the beginning, before there was sin, there was sex. And God looked at everything that he had made. He looked at the man. He looked at the woman. He thought about marriage. He thought about intimacy. And he said, it is very, very good. So I think that's just my foundation as a, as a father teaching my daughters, as a pastor hoping to kind of shape our little local culture here um, with the TV show as well, mm-hmm. like, y- yep, yep, there are dangerous parts, there are sinful parts, the world is going to get this all backwards and push its agenda, but let's, as Christians, let's be the people who raise our hands first and say, yep, we have something to say about sex, <laughs> our God is the inventor of it, our Father made it, and it is such a good thing.
0: hmm I've had George Barnon a number of times, who I really like, and in his American worldview inventory this year— Nearly half of all theologically born-again individuals, let's say 43%, say premarital sex is morally acceptable. Mm. Yikes.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and maybe that's not shocking if this generation has grown up with a thousand messages a day about sex, and their Christian parents who pray before every meal have maybe had the sex talk— singular. (laughs) I was reading uh, a parent the other day said, I have had, (laughs) how does she put it? I have had to remind my son to shut off the lights in his room over 1000 times. And he still doesn't get it. So why why in the world would I think (laughs) I could talk to him once about his his body and he would suddenly get it? Oh,
0: that is a great illustration.
1: Oh, it it is. So yeah, yeah, as much as I want to like shake my finger at the broken world. I think instead, I just want to start with people who maybe share my moral compass. We believe the Bible is true, it's good, and that sex has this intimate setting in marriage. And let's let's talk about it. The, the Proverbs do, where this father speaks to his son in Proverbs 5 to 7. The Song of Songs, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> I always picture like, teenage Jewish boys in a tent with a flashlight reading the Song of <laughs> Solomon. <laughs> You'd be surprised. If the Apostle Paul said, "All Scripture is God breathed and it's useful." And oh my goodness, yes, indeed. So um, let, let's let's not let's not blush. Or if we have to, let's blush and keep talking. Because man, if if we for- force people into silence, who else are they going to listen to besides Netflix? and Pop Radio, and Cosmopolitan Magazine, and their friends from middle school. So maybe that's one of my bigger goals that I hope I can just share with your audience today. Let's let's take back this belief. (laughs) On the very first pages of the Bible, our sinless parents were naked, they were not ashamed, and God said, let the two become one flesh.
0: Mike Mike Novotny is my guest, and we're talking um, about—is it about a 75-page book, isn't it, Mike? Yeah,
1: so it's basically a sermon series that I preached in a few okay. parts with okay. some prayer prompts, journaling entries. So yeah, that's the booklet.
0: Yeah, and the, it's entitled Sex is Complicated. Let's talk about it. And one of the things I know that you have a passion for is is helping people reject and resist and recover from using pornography. And some of the stats regarding porn is really frightening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an ind- Sex is an industry now. And mm-hmm. millions of Christians are contributing. Um, inter- internet downloads are related to pornography. 35% of all Internet downloads are porn-related. That's stunning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's the number one thing people seem to do on the Internet, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's so true. Um, I can. Re- I, I forget if last time I was on your show, if I shared that you know, I, I was caught up in that addiction myself. So I can relate, um, you know, to be a person who loves God. Mm-hmm. And who loves his truth, but to still be so drawn to something that you hate? Um, yeah. So the the third thing I mentioned out of those five that sex is fiery, I get that. I've I've been burned by it, my own sinful sexual choices. And the last thing on that list that I mentioned, sex is forgivable. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm so grateful I can you know kind of talk candidly about this stuff because there's there's a Jesus at the end of the day, whose arms were open wide for sexual sinners like me.
0: Yeah, I appreciate your vulnerability. Thank you for that, Mike. Um there's a lot of Christian couples too who view sex properly, yet they still struggle as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the maybe the 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 part of the teaching of the five that was most meaningful to me and I think it's connected to pornography was the the second thing which said sex is work. So w- one of the messages we get from pretty much all of all of media is that sex is not work. You know, you you make eye contact across the bar. You wink. You sit next to each other, and boom! Here's this like passionate, uber satisfying. <laughs> you, you, you know, it's it's just you got to speed up the plot to mm-hmm. fit it into a you know thirty minute show. Um, but what's really interesting in the Bible, when Adam made wife to his love Eve, um, I think this is Genesis chapter four or five. The Hebrew word for make love, the word is yada. And that's just the Hebrew word for know. So I think the old King James Version had Adam knew his wife, Eve, if you've heard that before.
0: Yes, I did know uh, that. He, he,
1: yeah, he knew her carnally. And I thought that, that's such a brilliant way to talk about it. It's like sex is knowing something. Like to, to make love well, I have to know my wife well. I have to know when she's fresh and when she's exhausted. I have to know when she's stressed and when she's interested um, I think why a lot of Christian couples, even married couples, turn to pornography is because it's not work, <laughs> right? A g- good sex in marriage really requires me to be selfless and sacrificial, um, to be patient, to be kind, to serve my wife, to to do things around the house. Hearse- uh, <laughs> oh, this isn't too far. I heard someone call this, um, when you help your spouse with stuff around the house, it's called chore play, i like that yeah it's like let let me help you relax (laughs) i know i know especially so many women are so capable and they handle so many things in the home and and that's true for many men too so let me let me not just like sneak up behind you and wrap my arms around you and and kiss you on the neck instead let me serve you first let me do the work because i know you and i know it can help you once to connect with me sexually so you know, porn is this demonic invention because 24/7 we can find a sexual experience that is not work, and therefore we take the shortcut. And like my pastor used to say as a kid, you you can cut across the neighbor's yard instead of taking the sidewalk, but he might have a pit bull that's chained in the back,
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> and
1: and you might get bits. It, it's a shortcut, but it's a painful shortcut.
0: Yeah. All right, this is uh, fascinating, Mike. I appreciate your work on this. Uh, Mike Novotny is my guest. His uh, book is Sex is Complicated. Let's talk about it. And we're going to take a brief break when we come back. If you have a question about anything you've heard so far and you'd like some more uh, clarification, let me know what it is, 877-933-2484. 877-933-2484. Be right back. Novotny, he's an author. He's written a book called Sex is Complicated. Let's talk about it. We go back to the comment you made, Mike, about Adam and Eve in the garden, um, naked and unashamed. Are you thinking that the garden is 82 degrees and low humidity?
1: <laughs> it, it is not northeastern Wisconsin. No, where it, I can't, live. it can't be. <laughs> you, you would need a lot of leaves to keep warm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: So talk, if you would, Mike, about um, married couples or singles or anyone who's in uh, need of God's healing from a sexual their sexual past.
1: Yeah, yeah, Th- thanks for going there. Um, I don't know of many people who live their Christian life without struggling in this area, and whether it's pornography, like you mentioned, uh, whether it's tension and arguments in marriage over the frequency of sex, whether it's a, a desire for sex, but just, you know, jumping the gun with a partner before our wedding day. Um, I personally, you know, a lot of people, when they start reading the New Testament, they skip that first page. <laughs> uh, you remember uh, Matthew chapter 1, the start of the New Testament, is this genealogy of Jesus. Yes. And you're reading about um, Aminadab and <laughs> Abraham, a bunch of these names you can barely pronounce. But what's amazing to me is, you know, here's the start of the time when God's Son comes into the world, and the Scriptures give us His family tree. And if you actually study the names in Jesus's family tree, there are so many people who had sexual baggage.
0: Oh, Tamar, Rahab. Um,
1: Prostitution, adultery. Yeah. David, Bathsheba, Solomon.
0: Ruth. I mean, Ruth wasn't didn't have a sexual past, but she came from a, a group of people, the Moabites, that were weird. Their sexual past was incest.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you just have the very first page of the New Testament is, here's this Jesus and I think it's Hebrews two or Hebrews four says he is not ashamed to call people like us his brothers and sisters, right. You know, I, I just love that. He's even though he is sinless, he is holy, he should just be so disgusted with the choices that I've made, you know not once or twice, but how many times caught up in that addiction. And yet he is not ashamed of me. he He shed his blood for me, and everyone who's listening, it's not just a, a me thing. it's a it's an us thing. So the Ephesians were sexually broken. The Thessalonians were sexually broken. The Corinthians were so jacked up. And yet, when God speaks these gospel words to these Greek New Testament churches, he's speaking directly to people who had that baggage. And he said, this is what you were, but in Christ, that's not what you are. You're clean. You're holy. You're the spotless, blameless bride that Christ has redeemed by his own blood.
0: I love that. I think of Jesus in his conversation with the Samaritan woman and revealing Mm -hmm. to her who he was. Mm -hmm. And you look at her past with five husbands and now living with someone who's not her husband. And Mm -hmm. yet he deems her worthy to know this incredible information about him.
2: Yeah.
1: Great. Is it John four verse four, that little detail now Jesus had to go through Samaria. Mm -hmm. And you say, you say, no, no, he didn't have to. Like, most Jews, in fact, would make sure they didn't go through Samaria. They'd go around it, because it was broken and backwards, and it was sinful. But that little that little line, no, he was compelled to, because he had a divine appointment with that sexually broken woman, to say, I'm not ashamed of you, I'm reaching out to you, and I want to offer you something better than the sin you've been chasing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mike, how do parents and grandparents talk to the younger ones? Uh, because today— Kids have access to stuff that would shock all of us.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, you, you know, it's a tough question. I, I would, I wouldn't want to set up any grandparents for you know an end around with mom or dad. Right. So I, I think there's a great. I, I made that mistake when I was preaching about about sex in my church, thinking, you know, I'm going to have these older Christians who think that this is inappropriate for church, and. Forgive me for the stereotype, but I thought, I bet I'm going to get a bunch of emails from older women saying, I don't want my pastor talking about this on Sunday. And actually just the opposite happened. Uh, it was it was grandparents, grandmothers, grandfathers, and especially older women who said, like, no one ever said any of this to me. And here's why my marriage fell apart. Mm. And, you know, he, here's what I have been through sexually. And it, <laughs> I don't know why I'm, I'm not the smartest pastor like, even at our church by far, <laughs> I thought I should have just done the mass. You know, 50, 60 years ago, when these 80 year old grandparents were, were 20 or 30, this was the 60s, the 70s. Um, this was not a sexually conservative time in America. Uh, this was free love. This was people throwing off the boundaries of those old norms and morals. And so, yes, well, my goodness, you know, you had a world where. Grandparents get this, I think. Parents get this. Children are thrown into this. So, you know, the, the title of the book said it is complicated. There's not a way where my teenage daughter is going to say, wow, Dad, let me get my notebook. Please, <laughs> <laughs> please, please. In,
0: enlighten oh, me. Oh, hold my hold on, Dad. <laughs> hold on.
1: Let me grab the paper. <laughs> you know, she's going to wrinkle up her nose, but it, I, I actually wrote this little note for myself. Um, moms and dads, even if their noses are wrinkled, their ears are open, Yeah, you know, and, and they might act like they don't want to hear any of this, but the truth is they and their middle school and high school friends are clueless. The, the only thing they know is the backward fictional versions of sex they see on media. And trust me, they are listening as you stumble behind the words and teach them sex is good. Sex is work. Sex is fiery. It can burn you. It's a good thing. You don't need it today. And if you struggle with it, it's forgivable because of Jesus.
0: Mm-hmm. Mike, I just got a text. I'm a licensed professional counselor and Christian. I rarely, rarely hear women talk about sex. I wonder why.
1: Mm. Ah, you know, many do. Uh, I just got done reading a book called Girls and Sex. It was not a, a Christian book. Um, women very much have a sexuality. I, I think what sometimes happens in the Christian world is that sex, for many Christian wives becomes a duty and an obligation, you know, because we're supposed to serve each other. And this is a little bit of a stereotype, but often men are the higher desire partner in a marriage. And so what happens if, you know, he's interested in, in twice a week and she's interested in twice a month is, you know, instead of doing the work or being patient or serving or inspiring her, he demands, he wants the shortcuts And so, yeah, I've seen this in a lot of counseling in my own church, um, just that instead of becoming this joy, a lot of women tighten up a little bit, like it's an obligation. And obligation is rarely fun for anyone. So, (laughs) yeah, I think if we could just slow down, patiently serve, do the work, yada, our significant others know them well, um, I think maybe in the right moments, women would open up and they would speak, and they could find a, a deep sweetness like we find in the Song of Songs, not just from the guy who's <laughs> bragging about these great sexual moments, but mm-hmm. just as much from the woman involved in that story, too.
0: Yeah, because, you know, you you say in your book, sex is a beautiful gift from God. And yet I know people hearing this right now, Mike, are going, ouch, uh, hasn't worked out that way for me. Yeah, I, I I am feeling sad, frustrated, angry, all kinds of things. Yeah. If you would uh, yeah. speak some comfort to those folks listening right now.
1: Uh, absolutely. You know, sex is, well, compared to fatherhood, is is having a father a beautiful gift from God? Yes. Can fathers really mess that up so people cringe and end up wounded? Mm. Yes. That, that doesn't change the goodness of God's original intention. So, oh my goodness, yes. In the in a messed up world like ours, I, I get why people end up there. Sexual abuse is rampant. Patient sacrificial lovers are rare. Uh, people get burned, sucked into addictions. So, yeah, if, if you're listening, I just want to say, like, I, not just the past, um, actually just a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were having a conversation about this because we're different people. And when we're tired, we stop doing the work, and that just becomes a frustration. Um, my wife, Kim, she said this beautiful line. I'm going to remember this for a lot of years. She said, We're just different, and that's okay. But if we stay humble and put each other first, things will only get better. Hmm. Right? I- so I, I don't write this book as like a guy who had it easy. Um, <laughs> I've had a really messy kind of up and down story. Um, even within my own marriage mm-hmm. but Kim, Kim and I have just committed ourselves to the principles of this book and, and just like parents, we're going to have ups and downs just like in our careers, we're going to have ups and downs in the bedroom, we're going to have ups and downs but if we stay humble, if we stay focused on Jesus and His Word we will continue to grow by yeah. His grace
0: Michael, I've got 30 seconds left I, I think I went on Amazon to see your book and it wasn't up there on Amazon which I thought, because all your other books are there uh, did they not put it up because they didn't like the content?
1: No, I don't think that was it. If you go to timeofgrace.org, you'll quickly find both Sex is Complicated, and there's actually a companion book, another sermon series I did called Sexpectations. Okay. So you you can find both those books right on the homepage, timeofgrace.org.
0: Yeah. Mike, thanks so much. I'll see you on TV at my gym soon. (laughs) Have a great day. You bet. Bye-bye. Mike Novotny's been my guest. His book is called Sex is Complicated. Let's talk about it. And we did. All right, we're going to take a little break. Kay Wills-Weimau is going to be on next, The Peace Project. That's all just ahead.
2: It's the Afternoon Show with Bill Arnold. Drive time, drive time, let's get it started.
0: Okay, does your life have you feeling unsettled, overlooked, insignificant, exhausted? Good news, there's a better way. I want to read an endorsement for this book called The Peace Project, a 30-day experiment practicing thankfulness, kindness, and mercy. And here's the endorsement. One of the things I absolutely love about Kay is how accessibly she writes and lives. As you read, you will feel like you're riding in her car and talking to a friend. Kay's new book will simultaneously challenge you and put you in a good mood. This is no fluff topic. When you change your gaze, when you choose to respond to life redemptively, your brain changes, your heart changes, and the world around you heals a little. Our world needs this message. And that endorsement is from none other than Susie Larson, who uh, I think works here right at the station. Doesn't she? Yeah. Yeah, she's here, isn't she? Yeah, yeah. Rosie's saying, yeah, she works here. So cool. That's the endorsement. My guest is Kay Wills. Kay, welcome.
2: Thank you so much for having me, Bill. And I love your friend, Susie
0: Larson. Oh, she's we dare We adore Susie, just so you know. I know. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I opened this book up and I started reading it, and it's just so much fun. I want, to, I want you to tell us uh, what happened in your life that really got you started and prompted you to write this book.
2: Well, it all started with a bad attitude, which is sometimes a great way to start something. And I really didn't intend it. I kind of feel like it was a gift from the Lord, even in my crummy attitude that I was, you know, it was a morning. I had people coming over to my house. I dropped off carpool, and I really had run into the house just to get coffee ready for everybody. And I opened the fridge to pull out the milk, and there were two cartons of milk. And, um, I picked up the first one, it was empty, and then I picked up the second one, and it was empty. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, people, because we have we have five <laughs> kids, bill. and so but how, however, I'm sure it was me like putting back one of them right. going, there's a there's a drop of milk in that." But I was so frustrated when I walked out the door and I was like, "Oh my gosh, And I back out our driveway and I met in the in the in the uh, street with a big black pickup truck that was bossing its way down our street. And um, forcing me to back up to let him through. And so I kind of called that road rude because it wasn't rage. But it, right. was, it was kind of rude. And I was like, really? And as I looked up, backing up, I just saw the sun coming through this cloudy sky. And it was so beautiful. And I was sort of like, what am I doing? Like, I'm in a car. It's air conditioned. It's a Texas summer day. And I'm going to a grocery store where there are refrigerated items. And, you know, just it was right about there that I was like, wow, I've got – so much going on that's good why am i letting this steal from me and so at that point i could breathe and i i legitimately backed up which i didn't think about it at the time but the first thing was thankfulness you know getting my eyes off the situation and pointing it towards things to which are you know i was grateful for and then backing up with an act of kindness which again i wasn't labeling at that point but it was, it was so nice, even in doing it. And as the guy passed, I looked in the window, and I said, they're going, that's a human being behind the wheel of that car. And I had no idea what's going on in his day. Like, he could be racing to the hospital, or, you know, he could be late to work. He could just be a jerk, you know, and a jerk has a long life. But no matter what, there's... And I... I let him through, and honestly, without being like over spiritual, I prayed for him and I prayed for me. You know, I was just like, "Wow!" All of that in one moment. And the crazy thing is how great I feel. I felt after it, like I literally had euphoria. Like it was, it was just like jolt of energy that was given to me. which to the grocery store, sure, still feeling it. The ladies came over. I told them about it, and um, we all were sitting there going, "What was that?" Mm-hmm. And it didn't take long to unpack it and go something rich was happening. It was thankfulness, it was for sure kindness, and it was compassion, which is a part, of, a part of mercy. And and we sort of ended our conversation going, what would happen if you did that? Like, what if you did that for 30 days? And um, so we kind of called it a soul 30 and tried, and it was amazing. Like, one day of it is great, let alone 30.
0: So, I love the story, Kay. So far, I love that in this moment, you practice thankfulness, kindness, and mercy, and it was something that energized you. It did not yes. subtract from you. It added to you. Come on.
2: Yeah.
0: And everything about what you describe would make a person frustrated, especially the no milk. If you got the oatmeal all ready to go and there's no milk, and you're going, now what do I do? Right?
2: Yes. It's so true. Yes. It's so true. So, so you did, you and did, even... Just yesterday, I opened the refrigerator to almost the same thing, and I was like, that's hilarious. So (laughs) it hasn't stopped.
0: So tell me about the 30 days, and why 30 days, and why is it that important?
2: Well, honestly, I did 30 days because, you know, 30 days, I think you can can start— and finish something like you actually accomplish something. And I also did it because around these parts if somebody wants to do like a, a healthy diet, a lot of people do a whole 30. And right. I'm a I'm an absolute wimp. I could never do it. I don't think you can drink coffee on the whole 30, so they they lose me right there, you know. Yeah,
0: I'm out. Too. But
2: yeah, so I just was thinking if why not take a play on that because a whole 30 is a fast and this soul 30 is just like what you were saying. It's the opposite. It's a feat. It's like, you're not giving up. You're getting so much. And, um, and I felt like if, if that was good for your body, like your physical body to do a whole 30, why not try what's good for your, for your mental health, you know, for your thoughts. And it was sort of like a diet for my thoughts to go, if you did this, you actually can impact your neural pathways. And um, because what happens when you do something as simple as thankfulness and as many gratitude journals out there is um, it, it uh, fires endorphins and dopamine in your brain, which is why you feel good. And so it's sort of like, what if we could impact our neural pathways by thinking about good things and practicing good things? Because when you act, when you do something, when you have an action associated with with something that's positive for your brain, it actually it makes the neural pathway a stronger place. And I was like, gosh, if we could change the super highways in our brain, leaving the anxiety and the worry and all that, which is usually where our thoughts go, and let them be a farm road, and why not try it? Like, could we do it? And that's kind of how we entered it, wondering what would happen if we did. And I and I think that's what we were all so floored at the power of it and the transformative power and the peace that came along with it. And and honestly, I still do it. Like, I woke up the other morning a little, a little overwhelmed by all the discord. It's big here right now. I mean, we have school that started and lots of masks, no masks. People are frustrated and angry and honestly just tired. And it was just one of those things going – It all still feels so overwhelming. What can I do? And I thought, you know what? I'm going to start this out with hitting the things I have to be thankful for. And instantly I started feeling better. And um, I found a way to be, you know, to do an act of kindness that morning. And I know my kids are sick of me and sick of (laughs) it. Trust
0: me, they're
2: not. Yeah, I know. But I have a new freshman this year. And I was like, I know you're going to roll my eyes at this. But do you want to know what might possibly make this day a little bit better? Start it out. And um, and he said, he goes, you know, I know you're right. And it's not like, I know you're right, Mom. He knows because he's been doing it too. And it does, it, it takes situations that feel so unsettling, and it settles them a bit. Yeah. So,
0: Kay wells Wyman is my guest. Her book is The Peace Project, a 30-day experiment practicing thankfulness, kindness, and mercy. Um, Kay, I can't help but to think of Philippians 4. Whatever mm-hmm. is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Yeah, These are amazing uh, marching orders. that I think uh, Paul says, let's keep things simple. Let's think about what is uh, praiseworthy. And when you think about uh, kindness and mercy and thankfulness, aren't you kind of doing that?
2: Boy, yes, and and so okay, because it kind of feels like that's heavy, like that's a big admonition. Do all these things, and I start, I hear the list, and I'm like, oh, "You lost me at the beginning." You know, right now, I'm not thinking the nicest thing ever. And so, how <laughs> do we do that? Yeah. You know, because I think that can be hard. But what what is captured in all of that is actually the Lord Himself. All of those attributes are Him, and that's the part that that I have found so deep and meaningful about these practices because the thankfulness, you know, you can, you can do that. We can do that. Like left to myself, I can think of a couple of things to be thankful for right now and kindness. I can, I can practice kindness. I can even practice kindness. So I get something out of it. The altruistic kindness, (laughs) it actually lights up a portion of your brain that nothing else does. And that's a little extra you know, step, but the mercy piece, gosh, those, I don't know how we do those without the Lord involved, mostly because He is compassion. You know, there's, all of the attributes of mercy actually describe Him. And I think that's why that part is so powerful. And I think the reason why it is is because you're actually engaging with the Lord whenever we do that. And and that's what I've learned more than anything, is that these things He tells us to practice them because in doing that, we actually get to experience him because we can't do them left to ourselves. It really is in his strength and it's in his power. And I think that's why it's so mysterious because those words like, you know, not by strength, but by not by strength and not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that's so mysterious. And I don't even get that. But when you engage in something like mercy and having compassion on someone, like legitimate compassion, that's where he comes in because he is that. He's the one that provides the power for that. And all of those, all of those admonitions that are in Philippians. And I think that's where it's like, whoa, I had no idea.
0: Kay, I so appreciate what you're saying. And you're so spot on, but sometimes people want to feel peace in moments when it's anything but peaceful. Yeah. So what counsel do you have for us to to help us navigate some of those situations?
2: I think that, that my, really, my I would say start with gratitude. Start looking outside of yourself. And in that gratitude, in the moment of unsettledness, find something in the settle, unsettledness to be grateful for. And um, that's the beginning of it. And it sort of primes the pump and fires the engines to get it going because peace is what comes with it. I can't manufacture the peace. I really can't. But I can I can surrender to the Lord. And the part that comes in, one of the definitions that was used for mercy was by a Jesuit priest cuz I, I wanted to know what these things were. Like, you know, what is gratitude and what is what does that even mean? But especially mercy. Like, what does what even is that? And as I started looking around and finding definitions, seeing what people said about it, there was a there was a um a definition by the Jesuit priest his name is James Keenan and he said the willingness mercy is the willingness to enter into someone else's chaos. And um which is such a fascinating <laughs> fascinating definition because it's my own chaos too. But willingness is the key phrase because it's in the willingness that you're not a victim. Okay. So it's in the willingness that you're walking into it with wholeness. And, um, and that's where I think the key is because the wholeness comes from having our identity determined and our worth declared by the one who speaks over us words like you are seen, you are known, you are loved. And all that he did to be able to put put the meat on the bones of those words with the great gift that he gave us um, that comes with a grace that we get to extend to others. And when you're living it and experiencing it, that's where the peace comes, even in the midst of very unsettling situations. And um, we've certainly lived them. I can say it because it's not my truth. You know, it really isn't. And um, all I can tell you is that in doing it, we found peace in situations that were everything but peaceful.
0: Mm-hmm. Kay Wills-Wyma is my guest. Her book is The Peace Project, The 30-day experiment practicing thankfulness, kindness, and mercy. I know that a kindness can change a person's life. I bet many people right now are thinking, yep, I remember a kindness that changed my life. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to ask Kay that very question. About how kindness can change a life. And in the meantime, if you had a kindness that changed your life, I'd love to hear what it was. You can text me 877 933 2484. After a short break, we'll be right back with Kay. You need an encouraging guide to walk with you toward more peace in your life, and that would be One Day, One Step at a Time, Uh, Kay Wills Wyma's new book, The Peace Project, which is a 30-day experiment practicing thankfulness, kindness, and mercy, just might be your ticket. So, uh, Kay, when we talk about kindness that changes lives, I love that because being kind is free. It doesn't cost you anything to be kind. (laughs)
2: <laughs> isn't that crazy
0: it's crazy
2: oh well and it's so funny because I was listening to somebody who had just written a book on dopamine like what it does to your brain yeah. and and often and it had to do with um, the pain and the And, and you know, whether you're giving for pain in your brain or for excitement and how people use drugs to get all that. And as I was listening to it, I was like, oh, my gosh, you can practice kindness. And it fires the dopamine in your brain. And then they were talking about the addictive nature of it. And I was like, wouldn't that be great if we were all addicted to kindness? I mean, what a great place that would be.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we need to start a grassroots movement. Everyone kind all the time. That's it. No no one be mean anymore.
2: I know and it it is free and the amazing thing about kindness is that it makes the person receiving it feel great and it makes the person giving it feel great. So it is a win-win and um and it is something that it's risky. You know there is you're taking a risk a little bit by being kind cuz you could the person could reject it. But even when someone rejects your kindness, it still it it still makes you feel good it's not like a rejection from somebody else that is a slap in the face and you want to curl up in the fetal position you know it's something that you that actually can drive you to compassion going to to that place where why would someone reject kindness what has happened to them like what's gone on in their day to make them so not want to be around a human being that they reject it and so that's you know That's one of the greatest things about these practices is that it rehumanizes moments. It's saying we're so into dehumanizing people these days. Mm. This actually does just the opposite and rehumanizes in that these are human beings, the people next to us. The person looking back in the mirror is a human being of great worth, like such great worth. Dare we believe that and act on it?
0: So our brains will work with us if we work with it, right? Right.
2: Yes, I yeah. love when science, is, you know, when science proves Scripture. I love <laughs> <Really>. that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Maybe give us some examples of how we can shift our mindset with everyday little occurrences.
2: Yeah, and I love that you said that, Bill. It's everyday little occurrences. And for us, it often occurs in the car. Just the other day, we were in the mall, back-to-school shopping, and it was packed. And I don't think people still are used to traffic. It's like we remember it, like, but it's been so long since people have been driving in it that it has us all unnerved. Like, everything's unnerving. And um, we were we were walking to our space, and this lady rose down the window in her car and is like, hey – can I follow you? And we were like, absolutely. And so she followed us hilariously to the wrong <laughs> parking place because where I led her was not where our car was, <laughs> but she, she did not care. And um, when we were backing out, cause the kids were talking and one of them was like, wow, that is so amazing that she, that she asked us for the place. And, and she had inspired him by even asking. And so I rolled down the window and I was like, you're amazing. Like I yelled at her, you know, you're amazing. And uh, I told her you inspired us. And she yelled back at us. No, no, you guys are amazing. And so <laughs> in the parking Who garage won that fight? at the mall, <laughs> I know so ridiculous. And so that's what happened. It's like, it was so beautiful. We didn't know each other. And it was just, it was so lovely. And then that inspires more kindness. We went into a store right after that and the checkout gal that was, that was um, you know, letting us pay for whatever we had just bought, two of my girls were running to Starbucks, which was, you know, down the street. And one turned back and just said, hey, can we get you a Starbucks, too? And the checkout lady could not believe that someone had asked her if she would like a Starbucks. And it was such a... No one was even thinking in the moment. They were just like, hey, do you want one? And uh, because you never know how long her day has been with people frustrated or, or just all that's hitting her. And she sat in that moment after the girls left, and she said, that was the nicest thing. She said, you know, I already have coffee, but just the fact that you would have thought of me. And that's the essence of kindness, because what it says to the person is, I see you and you have worth. And that's the message that we all need to hear these days.
0: I noticed you and I care. Yes. Yeah. Pretty lovely. So, yeah. uh, Kay, I'd love for you to uh, talk about the kindness and and thankfulness and mercy reflex.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Say
0: more about that, because I love this concept.
2: Well, it was, I really was it going, that's more of a what if, <laughs> like what if. That really could be our reflex because as you're doing these things, if you do it and you continue to practice it and you, I mean, that's sort where of the a 30-day thing. You know, they say that 28 days make it a habit, which I don't actually think is true, but it's a great idea. And it does make it something that is common to you. And so that becomes your first reaction. And so what if? you did these things. They're free. They give you life. Of course, I would love for any of your listeners to buy this book. It's not my, you know, it's just our story alongside this great truth, which the Lord proclaimed really in the greatest commandment, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love others as you love yourself, you know. And um, when you do these things, dare it to become second nature. So that's where your thoughts go instantly, instead of these places that don't bring life, because this is what brings life. It's like it takes it from black and white and makes it technicolor. It, it gives it such beautiful depth and uh, structure. It's so great. And I mean, I know it sounds Pollyanna- I can't tell you some of the hardships that we have lived through this year and how doing these things actually helped us fully live the days rather than just exist through them. And so please, go try it for yourself as much as the people around you.
0: Yeah. Kay Wills Wyman is my guest. Her book is The Peace Project. We only have a couple of minutes left, Kay. So let's talk mercy. I know we've got a lot of opportunities to practice mercy. Can you give some examples?
2: Well, I have to tell you that mercy is for sure the hardest one. And I don't, know, I don't know why, if it's because it's such that deep soul level, because mercy is compassion, it's forgiveness, it's grace, it's taking the moment to see beyond what is seen. And so, and you go, well, what's an example of that? A simple example someone honks at you, which has happened to me multiple times today. I don't know why people are honking, but they honk. I mean, we're in Dallas. Like, when did honking start? You know, (laughs) apparently (laughs) the honkers. And so, in those moments, a honk, it feels rude. It's like, oh, and it kind of takes your breath away. And it's like, what am I doing? But in the moment of the honk, if you can feel that and schlep it off and go and go to the place where you can understand there's a person on the other side that has done that and see beyond the unseen to be able to say, again, I don't know what's going on in their day. It could be a long day. And extend grace by letting them go ahead of you. Which goes back to what you just said, Bill, about noticing someone and caring. And it doesn't take a lot out of your day to do it. And I think that in doing and practicing it with others, we just might be able to do a little more extending grace to ourselves, because I think we are absolutely the hardest on ourselves. And let me tell you something. We need grace. I said that to my freshman getting out of the car this morning. Give yourself grace today, bud. And I hope he does, because um, that's where we can walk through life alongside each other instead of everything having to be against or some ways to achieve.
0: Mm, lovely. And you are living it out, Kay, because it's so fun to hear, A, your energy, and B, the fact that you are always now aware of opportunities. Your your radar is up. You think now, reflexively, this could be an opportunity to bless, to be kind, to practice thankfulness, to show mercy. And when that's at the forefront of your brain, that's a good day.
2: Well, and I have to be perfectly honest with you. There's days I don't want to. Like there's moments where I'm like, I'm tired. And then to push through and go, no, don't do that. Like choose the high road on this one because it feels good. And give yourself a break the days that you really aren't feeling good, you know, but it's, it's worth choosing it because there is life on the other side. And I love that the Lord has, he peppers our days with all these free, very free things. That aren't expensive. They don't cost anything more than just a few moments of your time and what it gives you on this other side, it really it really is amazing. It's transformative.
0: So much fun to talk to you, Kay. Thank you so much <laughs> for doing are you in your car, by the way?
2: I live in my car, Bill.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah.
2: <laughs> because I'm doing because I'm doing a carpool. Is that not hilarious? I can't believe you busted me I'm being totally, in
0: the car. <laughs> totally busted busting you. Yeah. Now get in the house and clean out those empty milk cartons.
2: Oh, yeah. Right.
0: Well, have a great rest of the day, Kay. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you so much. Yep.
0: Kay Wills-Wyme has been my guest. Her book is The Peace Project, A 30-Day Experiment, Practicing Thankfulness, Kindness, and Mercy. Wouldn't that be nice if that was our reflex? Our reflex was thankfulness, kindness, mercy. Oh, that'd be lovely. All right. After a short break, I'm going to have Dr. Joanne Jung on the program, and we're going to talk about uh, her new book.